of knowing. All right, man. Welcome to Crow Triple Seven Radio. This is hour one of episode 439. Jason Lindgren is with me and Matt Powers joins us for the first time. Uh, we're going to be talking about things that matter in the near future, I would estimate, of living in this realm. Uh, Matt calls it regenerative soil. I first heard it introduced as permaculture, but as we get in, I think you'll get the point. And I'll make a point that's critical. And this is my firsthand observation. I'm not guessing here. I, I see this. All this warm season, I went down to the beach. There are no crabs to speak of, spider crabs, maybe. There are no starfish. There were very few minnows. And then the minnows started to come. There was all this transient green, hairy seaweed, and it was drowning the minnows. The minnows could actually get tangled up in it and drowned. I watched it happen for the first time. And I began to realize that I live in a farming community and what was going on, I estimated, was there was too much nitrogen in the water from all the runoff from improper farming. It had polluted the water. Well, lo and behold, two weeks ago, we had a major fish die off in one of the inlets and they cited, wait for it, lack of oxygen. That's a nitrogen problem that comes from improper farming, from improper growing and from people who can't get it through their thick skulls that you don't pour chemicals on lawns in a watershed or anywhere. If you care about your dog or the other things on that with having said that, let's get into a proper way to live. Welcome, Jason. Man, a hot good morning. All right. Welcome, Matt. Thank you for having me. I, I, I can add something to that. I have a solution to that issue. Okay. So I was recently interviewing Cuauhtémoc Villa and he uses effective microbes that were extended starting 20 years ago. So they're no longer the trademarked effective microbes, but what they are is indigenous microbes that have been extended with molasses, with living water from each area. EM is the consortium of, of these incredible microbes that exist all over the world, but it's a concentrate of them. And it, these are purple non-sulfur bacteria, lactic acid bacteria, and yeasts. And they literally can digest petrochemicals and they literally outcompete and, and take away algae blooms in irrigation canals. And this can be, this has been used in Japan for decades. Let me get into this a little bit. So we're not talking about fresh water. There is an area where the fish die off that was brackish, which means there was a fresh inlet into the salt water. Where I go down and do my meditation and prayer every day is salt water. Does it apply? Yeah. Yeah. EM, EM can work in both settings and they've shown it. And you can even go up river and apply it there. So you've got it in multiple places. And so these, these algae blooms, these, what, they, what it'll do is it will outcompete for the nitrogen and it'll eat up the nitrogen and turn it into amino acids, which powers the beneficial microbes. And we can do this for ourselves with EM or a biofertilizer that we create with the same exact microbes. So this is the kind of stuff I teach. And then you could spray it on your manure or in your irrigation canal or if you're trapped on a mountain and your pipes are frozen, like it was for me in the middle of winter in Washington, you can transform this stinky, you know, humanure with biochar and this, these biofertilizers, these, this, this consortium of microbes into amino acids. So it doesn't stink. So 
this is this is ubiquitous in nature. It's these it's these kind of truths that I've discovered through applying permaculture thinking to the soil. So that's how it really connects. And um, we're here to talk about some some really interesting things <laughs> that I found along the way, right? So how has it like ha- have other places applied the solution you're talking about directly to a body of salt water? Yeah, so like Savi Islands are the islands in between Washington and Oregon. And there, I, b- I believe it's brackish because it leads right to the ocean right there. And it's the Savi Islands and it's their, their irrigation canals. The irrigation canals are freshwater because they're using them to water with. But in an earth-saving revolution, Terahuiga Higa documents this in Japan as being used repeatedly. And, and the reality is in Korean natural farming, we use seawater all the time on land. The microbes we use and breed with the seawater. So they're not antagonistic with these, these microbes. And that's what's so powerful about this is these solutions, the biological solutions kind of seem fantastic. They, they, they almost seem magical. And the more we dig into these microbes, the more incredible it gets. You start seeing things that boggle the mind that don't seem to make logical sense and opens doors to new possibilities and potentials. You know, it's so frustrating because I've been doing all I can to reintroduce life and you feel like you're climbing a mountain that can't be climbed because you know that bad things are being put into the watershed. But I go down to the river's edge, which is salt water. They call it a river because it's narrow. Turn over a rock. Guess what I find? All kinds of baby rock crabs, all kinds of baby, all kinds of crabs. Uh, I find the little worms with those two fangs that people like to fish with. I find baby eels. So at the bottom of the system, it's trying to go, but the water's been jacked up. I even put thousands, and I mean thousands, of what we call quahogs. Most people might refer to them as a hard shell clam in. And when I went in in the middle of the summer to see how many had lived, there was so much transient seaweed on the bottom that I couldn't see the bottom. So as I was wiping it away with my hand, of course, you, you turn into mush. But it's interesting to know that. I'm going to look into it because the engine will repair itself. And I know you're going to talk about this. If people would just lay the hell off and do things in the right way, which is the main issue we're going to get into. But anyhow, you lead your points for this discussion as referring to soil and organic matter as a battery. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of the realizations I had. One of the big realizations I had that the soil organic matter specifically is the battery. And this is not my idea alone. Dr. Olivia Husson um, is one of the persons who talked about how plants are these solar panels and they exude protons. So they exude electrons, H plus, and they also exude carbonaceous material, sugars, carbohydrates, and also lipids and a little bit of protein. And it forms this soil organic matter. And also their dying bodies, you know, later on do as well. But this organic matter that comes from their roots has the energy conducted onto it. And it's a perfect form for forming soil and holding this energy. And that energy holds and those nutrients that are held by that energy hold all the fertility of the soil. So when we think about compost and we're adding back that organic, uh, that organic matter, 
we should think about it a, a new way because the reality is when we're bringing that organic matter, it's actually a whole, the opposite of all the nutrients charge wise and the earth and the, and the, and the sky, all these things are actually tied together. All these things are like batteries. All these things are like opposites. And so when we are actually creating compost, creating organic matter, that's aligned with the energies of the earth. So when we go and put our feet on the earth, they say we're earthing, we're getting these negative ions. I interviewed a doctor in, in Iowa who's setting up a food forest so his patients could do earthing because of the medically proven in multiple journals, top journals, proving that earthing does this. It, 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 you absorb negative ions, your blood pressure goes down, you heal faster. It's incredible and it's real. And so I was like, holy cow, we're getting all these negative ions because the sky is positively charged. And in the lightning storm, things flip around as, 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 as the sky you know, interacts with, with the earth, right? But normally the ground is, is negatively charged. And so it's like a female side of the battery. So it's mother earth. And then the sky is male and positively charged. This, this, with any kind of battery for it to work well, need for it to be able to hold the charge. And what I'm going to be talking about today is basically that like, you know, when you have a battery and you contaminate that plate and salts start getting on the plate and there's no differential. So you actually can't recharge the battery. And then you need like a shock to like fix the system and clean off that plate. This is kind of what's happening. We have contaminated the sky with the earth and there's not enough differential. And so we've lost the charge of the earth because the reality is that negative charge is the power and fertility. It's the solar organic matter. It's what's holding all the water. Every 1% of organic matter is 20,000 gallons of water being held in the soil. Every 1%. And their tilling is killing the soil and oxidizing it. Their bare soil initiatives where they're clearing off the soil, make it look neat is causing the soil to gas off and oxidize. And oxidizing is also a loss of energy. So when we lose the energy, all these chemicals, all this tillage, they're actually bonding up the potentials in the soil and then gassing it off as CO2 and the different forms of, of, of nitrogen. And it's also leaching out because there's no structure now to their soil. So when it rains or when they overwater, because they have a quota for water and they have to use as much water as they can, or else they'll lose that amount that they have. So they tend to overwater. And then that gets flushed down into the streams, into the waterways, and then into the inlets. And it gets concentrated as it goes, because that's what a dendritic flow is. A dendritic flow is a concentration of en energy if it goes to the point where it's, where it's focused. And if it goes out the other way, it's a, it's a pattern of distribution. And so this loss of energy is profound. It's what created the, the desert that we used to call the Fertile Crescent. It's what created the desert around Egypt where there once was all this fertility. We have tilled, we've dammed things, we've removed forests. And this exposure, this, this caustic treatment of Mother Earth has ripped the potential and fertility out 
and cause the sky to go into the ground because that's what oxidizing is. But then it's the loss of energy too because that's what redox is. Reduction is the gain of energy. It's chemistry. Don't worry about that part. But but know that the earth, the potential fertility of Mother Earth has been ripped from it and it's in the sky. And then the sky has been pulled into the earth. And so we have a broken differential. We have a broken soil battery. So the way you're laying it down, you're speaking my language because as you're saying these things, I'm measuring it against what I consider incontrovertible principles. One of them being the seven hermetic principles, which from my point of view cannot be dismissed. And as you begin to identify that the positive nature of the sky is male, that's one of the, that's one of the principles. Gender is one of the seven hermetic principles and that mother earth is negative. It's also, um, you know, I talk to some of my mentors or fortune and, and they're always pointing out the reason I go down to the salt water is because the negative charge is more I'm drawn to it. And when we lose these principles, it, it becomes neuter right? So we've broken the cycle. Uh, Mother Earth can't have offspring or produce anything when it's neuter. But I would recommend that as we have this conversation, everybody look up the seven hermetic principles. Um, The first one is, let me see if I can remember this, mental, mentalism. Basically, the mind precedes all reality. The second Mm. one is correspondence. The third one is vibration. The fourth one is polarity that's already come into correspondence and vibration have come so heavily into the discussion we've had so far because that is followed by rhythm, cause and effect, and gender. But polarity comes in right after vibration, and this is the basis of the identification that Matt's been laying down. So we're basically everything has a vibration. Everything has a polarity, a correspondent. I mean, you could almost start walking around nature and equating it with a battery, couldn't you? Oh, yes. I got chills when you said all that. These are the basis. You know, for me, there is no argument with nature. Whatever nature shows me is correct, and I don't have to question it. So the hermetic principles and other things that I'm aware of use the foundational truth of nature. And when I say truth, you cannot logically break these apart. You cannot subdivide them. You cannot prove them wrong. And so from my point of view, the seven hermetic principles are a human way of accurately describing the truth that is nature. But in everything you just did, I noticed that you were hitting on each of these key undismissible truths about the natural world. And I'm sitting here waiting for you to start saying in the four philosophical principles, you know, you're going to go into earth, fire, water, these ideas, um, they're true. And that's why I know what you're laying down is workable and acceptable. Wow. Thank you so much. That's what Benjamin was saying too. He was like, he was like, you don't even know it, but you're, you're speaking our language. And I was like, this is the coolest thing ever. He had explained alchemy to me for the first time. That's what you're doing. It's the resurgence. It's the, those of us that are going to survive the era change here and a lot will not. That's all there is to it. If you're not up to the vibration that we're going into and currently are, you're just going to have to cycle out. Nothing's lost. So I'm not trying to be rude. You, you know, it's just, you go through a different door for a while. But what Benjamin Balderson is pointing out is that you have gotten so back to the foundational principles of nature that you're doing what we call alchemy without even thinking about it. And I've seen this happen with multiple people who are like, oh, and then one day I just started doing this. 
And this happens again and again and again. And I'm like, is that the microbes? Because the plants are growing with the new microbes you created in them. And now they're in your gut and we have the gut brain, right? (laughs) So, but, but no one knows, but we consistently see this pattern of people doing things unconsciously that are so deeply right. So thank you. Yeah. Well, if you learn what nature will show you, you have learned truth at whatever level you learn it. Then if you reapply, you know, the whole, it's almost like the whole secret to living in this place is the creator made the creation. The creation doesn't need a new battery. It doesn't need to get cleaned up. It doesn't need anything. It's so perfect from our point of view that one thing will become another. It will clean itself off. Right now, there's no starfish down there. There's no crabs, but I know eventually they'll be back. Maybe people will have to go away before that happens. But the point is, it will do what it does. And so when you get down to the reality of it, you begin to realize that a successful human life on one measurement level would be working completely within what the scope of nature will provide. In other words, never doing the chemical thing or the science thing that oversteps what's permissible by nature. As a matter of fact, you could call science or chemistry from just my point of view, you could call it a hack. You're hacking nature. You're forcing an outcome that nature would not normally do and thereby leaving the truth of the creation. If you work within the scope of what is true as put forth by the creation, you can't live a better life than that because everything you learn and do will be within the scope of truth as is proven by nature. And that's kind of my rant for the day, I guess. I completely agree. I think that there's a new kind of science where we look to things be revealed to us now. Rather than we declare what it is, we are now learning so much, which is, it's shocking that they, that they did what they did how they conveyed science, how they conveyed medicine is shocking. It is. Because once you really get fluent in it, you require so much humility because there's so much to learn. And if you're quiet and you're paying attention and pondering and immersing yourself in these systems, in these patterns, in some of these books, you have, you know, in meditation, you have these epiphanies and it's so profound. It's so humbling. It, it makes me think that they actually had no idea. It makes me think that they're simply repeating the sounds they heard and have no idea what the meaning is of some of the more important things that they talk about in university science and academia. Do you know what I mean? Well, I like to say that science cut it down by two thirds. When you learn from the truth that is the creation, it's expansive. It's un, I can't explain to my neighbor why I just realized what I realized, but I know it and I will never unknow it. What science did, like if you talk to a chemist today, they'll make fun of alchemists. They'll make fun of spagyrosists and everything they know is owed to that older science. And all mm-hmm. they did was come around and hack it. The truth is is that the natural world, if we're going to use a human explanation to try to facilitate talking about it, we're going to talk about everything in nature. Everything has a body, has a soul, has a spirit. Now, these are descriptive ideas, some of which are not how you typically think of these words. But what science did is it made everything hyper-material and it lost two-thirds of the truth. All science recognizes is the body. When a homeopath 
makes a remedy. He is concerned with the spirit, the soul, and the body of whatever it is he's trying to use to get a cure out of it. What pharmaceuticals do, they break apart the body. So in one side, the people who are in lockstep with nature, they are breaking apart the body, the spirit, and the soul. They're purifying, extracting salts, whatever they may do. But after they've purified each of these things, they have the alchemical wedding, recombine it. And for those people that are very special, they'll exalt, make a little bit better than any other thing can because they're a human being and they'll have this thing but it is within the scope and the expanse of the natural world. What the pharmacy does is it comes and it takes a body and it breaks it apart. And very rarely does it do any other step. And when we translate this to what you're saying, you could view that a lot of science refuses to recognize the spirit and soul of any given thing being locked in hypermateriality and therefore only concerned with the body. And part of the reason for that is, is because you can't weigh or measure spirit and soul. Yeah. So for me, what I'm doing with my side of the citizen science is I'm looking at all the natural principles, all the natural patterns, and then letting them teach me and letting them inform me. And then on my personal side, I spiritually develop myself so that I'm receptive and open. And, and I mean, that's perfect. The way I write my books is I listen. I I listen and I write down the words that I hear and then I edit. And the editing is much more me, but I receive these things. And so whew, I, I really think that that for us as humans, um, without spirituality, I don't think the full creative, the full deeper understanding those processes don't flow properly. I actually think that faith is the same like part of the human that is creation. And so we believe in things that are not seen yet. We believe in things that are not proven yet with faith. And when we do that, we actually open a door to creating like a, like a possibility for anything, like anything that we develop that muscle of faith for that is, is, is a tangible potential we can pour into, and then we can force that will into the, it's really, really profound when you start unpacking it. So I find developing faith and especially in things that are like harder to, that you have to grapple with things you have to meditate on and ponder actually develops our creative power and our depth of perception in a way that's entirely unique. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's good. You know, I would equate what you're calling faith for me, if I was going to translate what that actually means in my life, it means that I'm extremely open to guidance and inspiration. As a matter of fact, I'm asking, I'm begging for guidance and inspiration to the point where I even begin to wonder if I think of some cool new thing, is that even my thought or am I just rediscovering things that have been known forever. Well, I don't know the answer. Let's get into the nuts and bolts. Let's talk about actually improving the soil and doing it in a way that doesn't leave a body of water near you bereft of life, <laughs> which is which is what I'm facing. It's 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 shocking. It is yeah. beyond sad to have lived in a place where life flourished. I could feed myself any day of the week when I was young here. That is not the case right now. 
So let's talk about it. How do we improve the soil? What can we do? How do we get the photosynthesis kicking? How does the sun, the earth, and all this play into it? Yeah. So the soil is the bank. And because they've, they've destroyed the soils, they've mistreated the soils, this, the soils have run off, the fertility's run off, it's come down into the inlets, and then you've dead zones forming, you've got eutrophication happening, and that's actually screwing up the soils of the ocean. So there, there's actually a process, and they're, they're actually opposite because one's in water and one's not, but they're very similar in, in how they work. Photosynthesis is a, is, a tech, is, is a miracle that we cannot technologically imitate. It is something that is so powerful. It's a freely given gift, and it's how everything works. Everything starts with the sun's energy being transformed into other forms. And, and, that, and there's microbes that can do this. Um, there's, I mean, obviously, the plants of the sea and the algaes of the sea do it 10 times at the rate that land plants do. So I have people trying to bring back the kelp forests, and I have people that are doing mobile kelp forests so they could bring like and park a boat with a mobile kelp forest or local seaweed to that area that is beneficial seaweed and clean up that area and sop up that extra nutrient. And this balance all comes through the plants doing what they do. And when they bring down that energy, they add that organic matter into the soil and it's higher than any compost we can add. People are like, oh, no, no, I can just add more compost. Actually, if you add too much compost, you create an anaerobic environment because it has no structure because you constantly t- like turned it and turned it. And so it, when you water, it'll make like pound cake and that's not good for your soil. Uh, that's not quite soil yet. And so you can add a certain amount of compost and plants still outcompete compost adding. So it's, you got to do both really realistically photosynthesis is this process. And, and what's so incredible about photosynthesis is they're doing hydrolysis, they're breaking the water, they're taking down these sugars, they're pumping them down into the soil profile. And they're every single day doing this. And the microbes inside them and the microbes outside them are also managing this. And if we don't have those things in place, it doesn't actually happen properly. So all those fields, you know, it doesn't even matter if they're doing like, like half the practices, they need to do all the practices. They need to do all the things that create life. And so you've got all these corn fields, they're, they're not going to be able to sequester that carbon because the microbes aren't in their fields, the ones that are all sprayed and chemical and poisoned. And then at the end of the year, they 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 tell they they remove all of the all of the biomass, and that causes the Fenton reaction, which is the loss of all the carbon that those plants have put into the ground gets lost, and so all the energy that got put into the ground gets lost. And I know there's there's so many people have run away with the spoon, you know, with the word carbon. And it's, it's really this fertility potential and we can't measure it on a global scale properly. They're doing averages of averages of averages of averages. And what we can see and can control is in the ground, is the soil. That's the best measurement. 
And, and that's why they don't talk about any of that. The thing is, these microbes and so many of these things, the reason they don't go into it is because it breaks apart all of their systems. And you've probably seen this too. They're allergic to what we're teaching because it fractures everything that they're saying. Like I've started doing my own DNA testing and discovered that soil is 40% unclassified DNA and then like 40% E. coli. And if you're in the deep study with like the people who are doing behind the scenes stuff, who are doing engineering, they're talking about how it's the universal chassis because it can become millions and millions and millions of species. Because like all microbes, horizontal gene transfer is more rapid and more powerful than, than reproduction in evolutionary terms. These microbes are transforming in real time. And so because of that, these, these, these people like simplified controllable stories with ceilings to be their science. They, they, they need a strong ceiling so you don't go above it and don't start connecting to, and it's siloed so you don't connect to the other sciences. And what I discovered and throughout all these different things is that we're, we're going to be talking about is that these ideas fracture everything that they're doing. So what am I talking about? So I, I consider myself a citizen soil scientist. I collect tests and I've started to test against tests, started talking to other people about their test results. I'm now collecting a database of tests to compare these things because there's something going on here. Everyone's been doing soil tests and then taking it home and then never showing it to anyone. And then never doing another test and just being like, wow, I had a lot of tomatoes this year. So it was a good year or it tasted good this year. So it was a good year. No one's ever like actually doing real testing. And in the universities, who manages the university gardens? Oh yeah, undergrads, children who aren't farmers. So this is where they're basing so much of their information. And then you've got these professors who are desperate to hold on to their, their livelihoods, simplifying everything. So I've been collecting microscopes. I've been collecting all these different test methods. And I've been seeing things that no one's ever seen before. I've been finding things that are beguiling. It's like, are you kidding me? That like you spread this thing out there? And, and, and the reality is like E. coli is most of bacteria. And that's why it contaminates everything. And it's mostly commensual, meaning that it's, it, it lives within us. It's in all of our guts. There's more species in our guts than there are people, you know, on the planet. They're constantly changing in response to their environment. So they're constantly dropping and picking up genes. That's what they mean by the universal chassis. And all the microbes are doing this. But let's start with, with, with E. coli. So there's about a dozen pathogenic E. coli. And Everyone says, you know, you have a pathogenic environment, a disease-causing environment, and you create diseases and viruses, right? This seems common sense. Even the scientists say it. But when you like pull that apart a little bit, it's like, what do you actually mean there? Because if there's no pathogens and it's a sterile environment, then suddenly you like make it lacking air and moist. And, you, and then suddenly there's pathogens, like what is going on there? What is actually going on there is everything's covered with fragments of DNA, everything all over the world. And, 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 and E. coli is taking up pieces as they're eating 
the, 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 the world around them. They're just taking in their dead organic matter around them. And it, it's part, it's part of it is mostly DNA. And they're like, oh, okay, this is the environment. I'm going to respond to the environment and pull from these genes selectively. And then I'm going to express that and become that. So these GMO guys have figured out that E. coli, and this is not taught in universities. This is behind the scenes. They're, they figured out that E. coli can transform to all these different things. So they're like, well, why can't we program it to be whatever we want? And so that's what they're doing. But the reality is mother nature is constantly, constantly iterating new. It's like, it's like an analog keyboard. That's always creating new sound. It's like, it's always modulating to this, the situation. So it's always doing what's perfect for the situation, pulling from the past and fungi is the longest lasting DNA. It takes like a day and a half to break down the DNA and horizontal gene transfer. Oh, happens so fast because it's three different things. It's not just them eating dead DNA. And when you're doing breaking the DNA inside the sequencing process, wouldn't you think that the dead DNA would be eaten by the stronger bacteria that survive the first process of breakdown? Huh? Wouldn't that change things? And then fungi resists after a day and a half of breakdown. This is why they say you can take fungi into space and bring it back and it's alive again. And it's fine. Because it's so hard to break down that it resists even after a day and a half of all this work. So um, huh, that's why it's in the environment everywhere. That's why a muscular mycorrhizal fungi collects nuclei and collects DNA and then sources it like a library and can spore off different species, different phyla, you name it. So we live in a world that's radically more cool and interesting than the universities want to let out of the bag. Because it, it makes them look like they don't know what they're talking about. It makes them look like the past 40 years of their teaching was a waste of their time. Uh, it, and it also lets all of us in because huh, it's, it, it, we started off at zero. Everyone's zeroed out and we're all on level one now. They were paid for that to be true. Just to be clear, those universities oh, yeah. were paid to study what they studied and how they studied it. Oh, yeah. They were guided. And it's that ceiling narrative. They created a narrative with a ceiling. It's called the pripedeutic function. And it is part of the principles of education by Ingalls, which is in a secret library in Harvard. And thanks to John Taylor Gatto, he was able to get a copy out of it and prove these things. They literally create an education that is missing the top level of it so that people don't reach the edge and then continue to expand the, the, the science. And so uh, this has happened here and we're going to fix that. So going back to that, that, that idea. So these E. coli are messengers, feedback loops, responsive mechanisms. So are viruses. So are all these things in, that are in, cause 60% of what touches our skin goes in. We are not these firm surfaces, nor is the soil, nor are the plants. So these, these microbes are all throughout everything. The horizontal gene transfer happens so quickly because it's sex as well. It's not just them eating their environment, it's sex. And so you see these conjugation, it's called conjugation. And you see these little microbes under there and they're going like little rabbits vibrating against each other. And you know what's going on and it's, they make these micro phalluses and then phalluses spread. I, 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 I'm sorry. It's reality. I can't, yeah, I've seen it. We all can see it. 
um, with a microscope. And so that's happening so fast. Every time they inject their microphallus, they're pushing in new genetic material and taking out. And so they're recoding each other's genetic material in milliseconds. And so when we're breaking down their DNA for a day and a half, um, don't you think that they're changing their DNA? Yeah, they are reacting. They have to. So we're taking snapshots of a reaction to a reaction, essentially, when we're doing DNA sequencing. We can't talk about it as this like, bum, 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 official. And, and, and so we really have to understand that when we create a pathogenic environment, we're creating pathogens. When we create our hot compost, the reason there's thermophiles that pop up, that show up, seem to come out of a different dimension People are like, you can't see them under the microscope. And then when it's hot compost, they're there. Well, it's because they're either coming out of another dimension or they're dropping the genes and microbes themselves have these fundamental universal chassis, bacteria and fungi that they can strip down to and then strip back up to and evolve in real time. And that's what people are theorizing and that's what I'm trying to investigate. But as I just said, DNA testing is a slippery fish. So we have to, we have to try to like um, triangulate with different testings, you know, as much as possible. What about what everything you just said? What is uh, flying in the face of mainstream that they would look at and wag their finger at you? Well, there's a recent paper that just came out that is super controversial that says that um, at, like, evolution is happening through these things faster than the normal evolution. And so what I just said, though, that reinforces what I just said, though, about horizontal gene transfer screwing up all DNA testing. It has to screw it up to a degree. And, it, and I know that's for a fact, because I know someone working with purified cultures that fragmented their fungi too much, and it read as bacteria. So that makes their false positives like is is a huge huge problem and horizontal gene transfer um really exposes that the e. coli thing the fact that the soil is unclassified dna the fact that they don't want to like add that in as a factor into how things move and change all those things are new all those things are very controversial um, I've not seen them said anywhere else. I'm saying them and, and basically people are like, oh my gosh, that's like a whole new paradigm for how to think about how life works and moves. And, but what's happened is people saw it in a Petri dish. They're in the lab, you know, and they're like, look, E. coli, you know, uses horizontal gene transfer to change its genes faster, ra radically fast. But it's like, I see that with my DNA testing right here with compost and no one's testing compost. I was able to test compost against old compost, against new compost, against native soil, against biofertilizers, and no one's doing this work. It's really wild because no one's doing this work. Things like E. coli are widely seen as dangerous when E. coli are primary to life. If we got rid of E. coli, we'd be screwed. Why aren't they doing the work? Any idea why they're just blatantly ignoring it? Because, because they're chasing certain things. So they're chasing certainty in areas where they often can't get it. So they want like 
they want like a test for like pathogenic like E. coli and like why does pathogenic E. coli keep slipping through their fingers? Because what we just learned today, it's normal E. coli, it's fine E. coli, there's no testing, da da da. And then they screw up their their farm and they they let things get too waterlogged or they basically create the conditions. They have soil that's going anaerobic. They have lifeless soil, so it goes anaerobic easily. And it creates that situation. And so those E. coli that weren't there suddenly appear. People are like, where was it? Who was it? Who was, who was spreading feces on things? And it's like, it's not feces, bro. It's like, you know what I mean? It's like people are like, so confused about how things actually work. And so it's the management of the farm. It's the fact that these farms are poisoned. It's the fact that these, the people that go on these farms um, are poisoned too. And it's this, is it's, it's in the people who eat this food are poisoned as well. It's like people who are really healthy can have food that's like, covered in dirt and maybe has some of those like low counts of some of those problematic things and your body just doesn't doesn't tolerate that because it already has a concentration a high enough concentration of everything on the other end and so that that maybe one or two counts of viral uh, of viruses literally transform through horizontal gene transfer in our bodies so this is super controversial because we're starting to go into the human body. And that's exactly what I've discovered in my work is that because I've discovered through soil what the truth is be behind making soil better and better and better, what the truth is behind what true fertility is, it undoes their fertilizer programs, it undoes their tillage, but it also shows like our plants, like redox, like I talked about, oxidation. Oxidative stress causes cancer. We want antiox, uh, you know, high antioxidant foods. That's so the dark colored, you know, the blueberries, the, the tomatoes with the black, blue blushes on them. That's high in energy. They're reduced. And so now we're starting to think properly about food all of a sudden. They don't want that. Uh, that's, that's not allowed. And then we go a little bit further and that's why Zach Bush is so careful and getting so spiritual now because when he first came out of the thing, he was like, Oh, I want to change this chart on the cell on cell walls of your body. I want to start testing your, your body's charge. That's exactly where I went to in the soil. And you get an irrefutable when you get down to the energies, you get down to the, the actual, I mean, when you connect the, the biology to the chemistry, you get the biochemistry and then you're unlocking things um, at such a level that, that that's what we are. We are biochemistry. So all these things connect. I have a plan. I've got to finish this. So I, I'm in the middle of doing a trilogy. So I just wrote Regenerative Soil. It opened this huge door. I'm riding this wave of inspiration that gets bigger and bigger and more and more people keep coming to me finding me like you pointing out all these deep connections to the past, to their understanding of the world as it is. And I'm in the middle of writing regenerative soil microscopy, the second book in the trilogy, and then regenerative soil DNA, the, inf the, the infinity beneath our, our feet, uh, I'm working on right now uh, in tandem 
but that'll be that'll be a year from now. I'm trying not to <laughs> take too much into that. Um, I'm I'm actually what I'm doing is research for that, and so I'm I'm plugging in the pieces for that. I, I can't help it because they're all so tied together. But but this information, I'm creating the platform for our understanding here, not just for farmers, but for all health, for all horticulture, all agriculture to pivot to come to an under deeper understanding of what's really going on. And then I'm going to go into the DNA and the microbes as they deal in the human body. And the book I'm going to be writing is um, Mind, Body, and Soil. And I'm going to be interviewing doctors. I'm going to get, the problem is, is right now the doctors will talk to you, but they won't go on record. They won't let you record it. So I talk to doctors and nurses all the time, and they explain to me how this is fitting into their understanding that's unfolding right now. And I have, I have, I have redox like folks who are, are literally being like, turn off the thing, turn it off. And like these French folks, and they're like, uh, then they delve into telling me all the, the, the actual health side of it and how you, the doctors won't touch it in their country, even though they know it works, but because it'll endanger their, their, their careers. Is that because of the uh, stranglehold that the pharmaceutical insurance companies have? Yeah, because the reality is we can make our medicines radically different because if it's energetic, there's a machine that uh, went under the radar here in America. NASA didn't treat their astronauts with medicine. They used light to diagnose and treat them in space. And so there are individuals who still have some of these machines and so there are fast pathways using wavelengths, using light, using sound for treatment of you name it. And so we are uncovering those right now by understanding from learning from the actual mother nature, the actual principles and patterns and cycles. I was the first to create the maps, the visual maps for all the plant essential soil nutrients in my book, Regenerative Soil. I still, to this day, feel like somehow that's insane. I, I mean, I was an English major. I got pulled on this journey by Kickstarter after Kickstarter. It turned me into the citizen soil scientist. I've done six Kickstarters. I've done 22 books in the past seven years. I, I've been pulled and my community has connected me and, and had all these individuals who are, who are independent and also people who are rogue doctors and PhDs that are researchers who are talking privately all over the world who have given me this information so that I could synthesize it and share it with the public. And it feels like we are on the cusp of, a, like you're talking about, a completely new understanding of the body, of all of life, and all of how it works. And I feel like what's been going on with the lockdowns and the, all the, the, the weirdness that we've been seeing from the top-down stuff is them trying to cut us off at the pass because we have everything now and we just have to put it together. Well, it's, it's interesting that you say that. Um, I don't remember, Jason, was it Clive or was it someone else? Every day of my life, I take magnesium because I learned that almost everybody in the world is no longer getting magnesium from their food. There's a story that goes that the world was starting to get cancers more and more, except people from, I think it was Egypt, People dug in, well, why are these people from Egypt not getting cancers? And then they realized that people who leave Egypt and go live somewhere else are just as susceptible to the growing cancer issue. 
they finally tie it back to magnesium. For some reason, the way that I think it's the Egyptians were growing their food, they were still getting magnesium in. And to this day, nearly 80% of the world is deficient in magnesium. But your last statement there, what I accept is true about right now is there's a spiritual war going on, but the shadow is going to lose. It always loses. It's a low vibration. Doesn't mean they can't cause all kinds of hell. They're already causing all kinds of hell. But the new vibration, which is representative from my point of view by the sun, is a higher vibe. All the things that can't keep up got to go away. And I think it's exactly what you're pointing out. These old systems, these low vibrational systems, these hack everything we grow with these chemical fertilizer systems, all that has to go away. And I don't really think it's arguable. The problem is, is that most of us think, oh, all these bad people are in charge, which is not wrong, but they're not going to win. In the long run, they cannot because it's low vibrational activity that they're involved in. But have, have you had any experience with the magnesium idea, the things we grow no longer having magnesium on offer when you eat them? Yeah, absolutely. It's not just that. There are, there are over a dozen essential nutrients and most of them are not found in the foods in the grocery store. Many of the foods labeled organic are grown in the same way industrially with organic NPK, with organic pesticides. And so you end up with a situation where you have NPK food and it's water, nitrogen, and you know, phosphorus and potassium, but, but that's it. And so you're not getting your magnesium. Yeah, there's calcium in the cell walls, but you're not getting all the other nutrients. I mean, they've proven that some of these trace nutrients are linked likely to kidney damage in certain areas because the soils are lacking that like a particular mineral. But I'm talking about nickel, but we need nickel. We need copper. We need all these things in these right minute amounts. And guess what? Most of them are already in the background soil environment. They're just not unlocked. And it's these microbes that unlock them in the rates and the forms that plants actually need. So their system, they've been blind. Like you said, it's like they're falling because they're literally blinding themselves. They created these sterilized plants in these sterilized soils. So there's no microbes in them. The highest levels of plant immunity only come through microbes. So they, they didn't see the microbes because their plants were sterilized. So they were behind the science because on the organic farms that got it right initially, like in the 80s and 90s, they began to see what living soil could do. And then 90s in the early aughts, they began to look under the microscope at those soils and they began to realize this is completely different. Microbes actually synthesize the vitamins in plants. So like the beta carotene, the orangeness in carrots, like, I mean, it, it, the list goes, goes on forever. The reality is the microbes are the actual benefit in so many instances, people who use cannabis, um, I was talking to an endophyte expert who's been working on endophytes. Endophytes are the microbes that live inside plants who said that all trichomes, all plant hairs 
on all plants have microbes in them. And essentially the cannabis folk are all after those trichomes and they're filled with microbes. So they're essentially smoking, vaporizing, and, you know, taking in these microbes. And it's because they have all of these, like all the taste, all the smell of plants, it comes from the microbes. Could you imagine if the farming world were as passionate as the cannabis world? But I'm going to have to cut you off here, Matt. We're coming to the top of hour one. We're going to have to draw this to a close. Can you please tell people where they can get a hold of you? And if you give out an email contact in hour one, the response can be overwhelming, but go ahead and give contact as you will. Where can people find you? So if you type in regenerativesoilscience.com, it's a lead site. So just no www, no HTTP. It'll transform into my website. So just regenerativesoilscience.com. There's an incredible amount of information on there. You, you will be connected to the best in soil science and also pragmatic so that you can start doing this, getting your hands in the soil, micro to macro, being the, the alchemist and participating with the ultimate alchemist, the microbes yourself. All right. There it is. That is our one of episode 439. I'll say a thing before we wrap up here and get ready to do our two. All you people that grow cannabis out there in a very critical way, you're kind of like leading edge getting back to sanity. I know so many people um, that are so passionate about cannabis and they do things like ensure, even though they've used no chemicals, when they're getting ready to harvest, they do all these procedures. But the thing is, is they are working to make sure that that particular plant is maximized with the best soil. It just goes on and on. If this passion was transferred back to food, let me tell you something, uh, your, your water or your tomato would not taste like slightly pink water, which is about what a tomato tastes like from most places now. But there's our one of episode 439, basically talking about regenerative soil or permaculture. The first hour is free to everybody at crow777radio.com, C-R-R-O-W-777radio.com. Members know to log in for the full two-hour episode. By the way, all members have free access to Shoot the Moon, which is a two-hour film that has now won 10 laurels or 10 awards. There it is. Hope to see you on the other side. And I'd like to wish you all a happy, healthy, and higher-minded new era. Cheers.
is the enemy of knowing.